everyone, and welcome back to the Vulnerability Hangover podcast. I am your host, Nikki. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by a truly inspiring soul, someone whose journey through the twists and turns of life is nothing short of extraordinary. Please warmly welcome our guest today, Tim Rist. Tim's journey is a roller coaster of resilience and reinvention, from starting college at the age of 15 to building a multi million dollar painting company navigating the complexities of a young marriage, and experiencing the profound impact of questioning one's faith. Tim's story is a testament to the power of vulnerability and courage to start new. Today, we will unravel the layers of his life, exploring the highs and the lows and the transformative moments that have shaped the person he is today. So without further ado, let's jump in to this candid conversation with Hello, Tim. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Vulnerability Hangover podcast. I am Nikki Dunkel, and I'm here today with Tim. What's up? How are you today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's jump into it. What is the affirmation that you would like to share with us today? Today, I'm giving myself permission to fail forward. I love it. For those of you who don't know Tim, I actually met him via Facebook, I believe, and he randomly reached out to me. Why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself? Well, my name's Tim, and I work as a broker owner for a boutique brokerage based out of Oregon. I've been selling real estate for about a decade. Well, I was drawn to your podcast, Nikki, when you guys did the episode on psilocybin and psychedelic churches. And that's been a recent part of my story. And so I was just like literally scanning for resources and people to collaborate with. And I have a few real estate clients that I've been working with to open up uh, therapy centers here in Oregon since it was recently legalized. And so in my collaboration journey, I listened to your podcast with Sierra and kind of selfishly reached out because I'm like, I need to be, you know, more connected with people who are operating on this frequency. Mm -hmm. So here we are. Shout out to Sierra. Yeah. So we connected that way. And I thought that you had a fabulous background as to why psilocybin has really helped you with key parts in your journey as well. Um, Why don't you give us a little bit more background on that aspect as well? So I grew up super conservative Christian in a small town outside of Brownsville called Shed, Oregon. I mean, it was under a thousand people in our town and I was pretty deeply sheltered. I was one of eight kids. We were homeschooled. I would say adulthood kind of started early for me. I started working really young. I actually ended up moving out of my house when I was 15 and going to college. So I kind of whether you would call it dropping out of high school or skipping high school, I essentially started going to a community college at 15 and filled my high school diploma and my associate's degree by the time I was 16, transferred over to Oregon State, graduated from OSU by the time I was 19. And I also grew up, I would say, fairly, fairly poor. Whether my folks had money or not, we wouldn't have known it because we were kind of expected to pay for everything ourselves. So I grew up in like a earning love and recognition type environment. And that kind of carried through like getting married super young, married as a virgin at 21 and kind of was like deep, deeply entrenched in the, 
in kind of a conservative subculture, which served me well in certain things. Like I was focused, I was able to kind of avoid a lot of, uh, maybe avoid a lot of painful lessons, but in some ways I, I punted a lot of really painful lessons that I wouldn't circle back around until after seven years of marriage, a very painful, challenging divorce, and kind of a new circle of friends that I found in partially related around uh, connecting over psilocybin journeys. Mm -hmm. That's like the the 15 to 28 summary. Yeah. So you were 28 when you started your journey with psilocybin or... When was your first? Pretty much. Okay. Wow. That's your Saturn return. Getting Yeah. Ready. Yeah. So it was 28, 29. So basically, if you could imagine growing up and being in that, like, that hyper conservative Christian ecosystem, when I finally made the decision after seven years of giving everything I had to try to make a marriage work that just never seemed to actually click in. I mean, I did get out of that, people ask, would I do it again despite all the pain and challenge? Like, of course, because I've got a, my daughter out of the deal. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, still a win in the end. But to file for a divorce inside of the culture that I was in kind of got me ostracized from my sort of my entire network that for I had sure. built. So, yeah. So at my Saturn returning, the rebuild was kind of deconstructed kind of down to zero. You know, wow. I went from from conservative Christianity to questioning Christianity to wandering agnostic to a, a brief stint as an atheist to circling back around to a, a Christ-leaning spiritualist to now just a curious sojourner that I am today. And that journey, the key chapters of that was a, was a close friend who introduced me to, to a heroic dose of mushrooms pretty much right out of the gates. And I'd had maybe one experience like during my deconstruction phase in the improper set and setting that was pretty negative mm -hmm. as my marriage was falling apart and then kind of like put it away. So I would say my first real experience in a proper set and setting that was actually productive was out at my property at Rivendell. It definitely changed me. It changed me and it changed who I connected with and it changed how I connected with myself. And it continues to change and challenge me to this day. Mm hmm. So you said your first dose was the hero. Yep. Do you want to give us a little bit more of like an insight on what that journey was like for you? Sure. Uh, yeah. And I should clear, like, I did have, I did have mushrooms once before that. It was an unmeasured dose mm -hmm. and it was kind of a dud that like hit me way late, mm -hmm. like way oh, no. after the container I built from it. Yeah. Like four hours after I'd taken it, it set in when I was not prepared. So that was actually a really negative experience. Mm -hmm. And that was something like I read about it online afterwards is pretty rare, but just like a cautionary tale for those using mushrooms for the first time. You know, I think that there is something to be said for our body resisting it, especially the first time some people can take a large dose of mushrooms and actually have no effect oh. because their body completely rejects it. And so for me, it was like, I think there was certainly some resistance and trepidation but for whatever reason, it it, it subsided and, and it was a late hit. This I guess it would technically be my second experience, but my first heroic dose of mushrooms, which was was guided, which I was guided by with a dear, very dear friend of mine, uh, was oh, man. Every time I try to go back and like put words to these experiences, I, I, it's hard to find the words. Mm -hmm. 
I could probably read a journal entry about it and that would do it uh, more justice, but I can, I can kind of give the, the summary of the experience was that it started with the normal things you can read about, like visual sensations and, and trees moving like the wind was blowing through them, even though there was no wind. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking about my buddy with the, about this, this first trip just the other night. I remember the first moment that like, I became acutely aware of my senses dramatically increasing my ability to see. And it was like this piece of lichen on the end of a stump that like jumped out at me. It was like this piece of yellow fungus that just completely captivated my attention. And it was probably no bigger than a quarter, but it was so vibrantly yellow against the, like the, the green and brown backdrop of the forest floor. So this is fall of whatever it was, 2021. And I was in a fully bundled up. It was raining out. Kind of makes me emotional talking about it, to be honest. Uh, it was so mesmerizingly beautiful, but it started with like some fear and trepidation. Mm-hmm. Started with kind of being uncertain, like no idea what I just signed up for, truly. Mm-hmm. And when that first piece of fungus jumped off the jumped off the log, it freaked me out, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like I noticed my heart rate increase and I can be like, oh my God, here we go. Like, you know, when you're at a theme park and you can feel you're, you're going up the roller coaster and it's the chains like. <laughs> yes. And you get to that top, which is like that plateau right before the drop. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, all right, there's no going back now. Like, here I go. I'm, I'm signing up for a ride. To me, that was like this first visual moment that I had. And I was kind of working through that sort of upset stomach feeling that you get a little bit when your body's first processing mushrooms. And then as soon as I passed, like kind of processed through that, I, I turned inward uh, and I just started kind of screening through almost like a, a Rolodex of old memories, Mm -hmm. like a slideshow as I was walking through the forest. And I just did a loop. I've got 26 acres North of Corvallis. That's kind of, like perfectly set up for all like a lot of different dynamic experiences. And I ended up down at this seasonal Creek with my buddy and he was the most phenomenal guide because he said very few words, which is, that's a, a, a lesson to the guides. I've guided a few people on trips and I want to like try to guide the experience. Right. But really the goal is just to, 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 to be the safe anchor that can say nothing if at all possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Unless, yes. unless they're engaged with and he did really good at that. Instead, he just kind of walked in front of me and interacted with nature in front of me. And so at one point, like he just got on his hands and knees next to the creek. And it was like this realization of like, oh, I can lay down on the ground. Like I'm covered in rain. I'm totally in rain gear. Like it's freezing cold outside, but I'm totally warm. And I just remember laying in this kind of in this bed of clover right next to the creek, putting my hand like laying fully out face down. Mm-hmm. and just like putting my arm in the creek and feeling the water rush over my hand. And it was like four years of therapy in four hours from that moment on. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. From the pain of a failed marriage, the death of a dream, really. A marriage is like when a divorce happens, it's like a real, it's like a real momentum killer mm-hmm. in life. <laughs> Financially, of course, but also like emotionally, your ability to trust, to think you'll love again. And then... 
I just like felt so many things being let go. And then I felt so held by the earth, by my property. And the climax of that experience was somewhere between the creek and these like 150 year old oak trees that, that sort of overshadow the creek mm-hmm. on, on the property. And I just remember I walked up to this tree and I just had this like worshipful moment at the base of it mm-hmm. where I just like bowed my head in the most, like one of the more spiritual non-religious experiences I've ever had in my life. And I just rested my head at the trunk of this tree that held me mm-hmm. so powerfully and it's created like people might joke now that I'm a tree hugger because I literally ended up hugging this tree like I I hunt I fish I like doing masculine ascribed masculine thing but as far as tree hugging I mean I just love that tree mm-hmm. and I get every chance I get because of this you know partially based on this singular experience I had on five grams of mushrooms resting at the base of it and feeling healed by it in a way that I can't actually explain. Yeah. Well, they call her mother nature for a reason. She's so nurturing. I know a lot of people when they take either hits of acid or they go and take mushrooms, I hear a lot of stories of them being out in nature and how connected they feel to it. So Mm -hmm. I want to hear your opinion on plant-based medicine, what do you think the benefit is for those who are, you know, curious about it or are wanting to learn more? Well, let me, let me clarify. I am not an expert. I'm literally failing forward, Mm -hmm. failing forward in my business. I'm failing forward in life and I'm certainly failing forward in experimenting with psychedelics and plant medicines. Mm -hmm. And I could share a lot of great experiences, Mm -hmm. but I can, I can tell you that there are certain there are a lot of moments where I would unequivocally recommend not doing mushrooms or any psychedelic for that matter, especially when it comes to unmeasured doses or improper set and setting. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation of, of, of psychedelics, it's kind of has an asterisk with it because it is a roller coaster. And for people who have a family history with bipolar or schizophrenia, mm-hmm. like those things can get unlocked in that journey. And it's like almost like the general, whatever generational curse may have been getting, gotten passed down to you. I think there is a risk with psychedelics, with plant medicine, mm-hmm. that you not only have to deal with your own stuff, but you may actually end up unlocking or reaccessing the generational curse that might be lying dormant from your folks' bullshit or whoever's before them. For sure. And that's a major deal. If you're in a fragile state and you are like looking for breakthrough, that's a great spot to be. But if you're looking to escape, I would not recommend psychedelics. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that like alcohol is like a good example of a common escape drug. It's just socially acceptable. You take it and you feel less. Mushrooms doesn't do that. You take it and you feel more. You You sense more, you feel more. So it's not a good escape drug. And I also think that it's a, it's a, it's a three legged stool. So the leg number one is what's the psychedelic you're doing and how much of it, you know, one gram of mushrooms or half a gram of mushrooms might be the equivalent for some people of like a cup of coffee or an energy drink. 
three grams of mushrooms might be the equivalent of like a high dose edible. The the edibles they make nowadays are so psychoactive. You might get more high on a on a fifty milligrams of weed than you would on on three or four grams of mushrooms. Now, once you get to five grams or above, so five to eight grams is what I would qualify as a hero dose, or four to eight grams, depending on the quality of the strain. Once you get into that realm, and eight grams would be the most I've ever done, you you're signing up for an uncharted water that can result in a complete obliteration of ego, at least temporarily. And that is where I think the power of mushrooms can be if it's done in the proper set and setting. So set being um, who you're with. So the backdrop of you and, and the relationship with those who are around you. So if you're at a party with a bunch of, at a frat where you're feeling safe, like that's a terrible set. For sure. And then setting being location. So for me, like my ideal setting, outdoors, preferably around old growth, old growth landscape, nature. The exception to that would be with a blindfold laying down. Like those would be the settings that I would recommend mushrooms in. And then I would be super cautious around doing any dose of mushrooms in a set or a group of people you don't feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. or safe with in a, in an emotional state where you don't feel certain of yourself and your self-worth. Because as you go through an ego death, as you, I'm fairly sure, you know, Nikki, because I've heard you talk about it. Like you go through an ego death, you've got to have some kind of anchor that you can, you can pull on for your sense of self-worth in that process. Because the joy of an ego death is to realize there's this divine universal love that links us all together and holds everything. Mm-hmm. Without some strand of faith in that, I could see it being really challenging to end up floating through space, not knowing whether you're truly cared about or not. Yeah. So do I recommend plant medicine to answer your question? Of course. Yeah. If you want to go through four years of therapy in four hours, mushrooms has its place. MDMA has its place. Ayahuasca and DMT have their place. All these different modalities are going to unlock doors into yourself, into your mind that you could not access in my mind without, without those, or it'd be very difficult to access. Mm-hmm without those things. So when you first decided to go on this mushroom journey, was it recommended to you or was it something that you had done research on prior? Yeah, I had a friend who who I trusted, who told me about his experiences and then offered to guide me in my own. And as far as like public recommendations, it was the opposite. I was coming from decades of religious programming that told me that if I took psychedelics, I, I would end up getting, you know, inhabited by demons. And so that was the context of coming out to I had, I had to unsubscribe from those beliefs first before I could even reapproach plant medicine at all, even including weed. Some of the most healing things like religion just has a tendency to push us away. So I kind of wanted to circle back to the career that you're in right now. You own a boutique real estate brokerage. What got mm-hmm. you in your career? I was running a painting business in college. I started it when I was 17, just knocking on doors. And this was like the worst economy since the Great Depression. We pretty much contracted everything through cold calling. And the reason why this segues into real estate is because I grew that business to 
over 30 managers, 30 college students who I taught how to run their own painting businesses. I was employing or supervising over a hundred painters. We were producing millions of dollars of projects just during the summertime. And I thought I was the bee's knees because I got a, I graduated college at 19, top of my class, debt-free. And I did it predominantly myself. I had some financial contributions from the state and because I, I was had been homeschooled and I had some help from my grandparents. But pretty much from, from the time I, I, I dropped over into Oregon State to when I graduated, I was paying myself, I was paying my way through working 180 to 100 hours a week to, to pay for my college as I went through. And so when I got out of that, I kind of went through this identity crisis, like one of many. It was actually at age 19. I was offered a six-figure job out of college. And I turned it down because I kind of felt like I'd lost myself. It was kind of my own version of like alcoholism, but it was workaholism. I mean, really, I was, I was masking. I was running from the pain of uh, growing up in, you know, essentially a series of evangelical cults, mm -hmm. Christian cults, as a middle child of an eight-kid family. Mm -hmm. Some of the beauty that comes with that also, like they say, with every high, high, there's a low, low. And I'd say that's the case with my family story. So this is going to circle back into real estate because I worked so hard that I ended up herniating a disc, L, my L4, L5 disc, running around, throwing ladders up, just not being wise in the way that I, I work with my body. And so I was kind of burnt out on just construction management and I decided to just peace out. I told these guys that were offering me a job that I needed a year to go and find myself. And I ended up moving, I ended up moving to Hawaii for, for three months. I was at a, kind of affiliated with a missions organization while I was there. And then we had an outreach program to Palau, which is in the South Pacific. And I went there to learn to sail and to do philanthropy work in Micronesia or anywhere where you could only get there by boat. That was our mission mm -hmm. was to go and serve people where the only way that they were going to be able to be served was if people were willing to get on a boat and float to them because you couldn't drive and you can't fly to some of these islands in Micronesia. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I spent six months of my life traveling the world, learning to sail. And I ended up in a little island nation called Palau which is like off the coast of the Philippines on the warpath from Honolulu to Japan back in World War II. It was a base. And now it's 20,000 people spread out on 250 different islands. Two of the seven underwater wonders of the world are in Palau. And so it was like a mix of service and philanthropy and painting structures and helping them rebuild after a typhoon rolled through to playing with kids and doing, doing mission work. You know, it's ironic, like, our, that world was all about building relationships. And like our, our version of, of doing the Christian mission that we were on was I just uh, cut out a bunch of cardboard and just wrote free hugs and free prayer and just stood on the side of the road in this little island nation. Uh, and there's so many crazy stories that I could share from this because we ended up meeting the, the president of this little island nation. I was holding the sign that said free hugs and free prayer. And that's what we did. People mm -hmm. walk up to us and we give them hugs and we ask them how we pray for them. And actually, like looking back, those were some of the sweetest moments of my life. Yeah, that's beautiful. It kind of ruined me for the ordinary. So when I came back from that, like I went back to, to construction management because that's what I knew. But I couldn't walk, really. I had this herniated disc that was causing massive chronic pain. I had a buddy who was kind of my age 
who had just gotten into real estate and was like getting some success. And he just reached out to me and he, he started telling me about what he was doing. And I'll, and I'll just, I'll remember some of those memories so sweetly because it was really my buddy, Caleb, who, who got me into real estate. Um, and his dad was an instrumental part of that too. Both of those guys really were the reason why I made the jump into it. Mm-hmm. How I got started was really rocky. Like, how did I arrive at like this brokerage? Well, it started with just a massive amount of failing forward. I was 21. I had braces and long straightened hair and skinny jeans. And I was just coming off of like being a complete sort of sailing world traveling hobo (laughs) to like trying to sell people on buying a house. I was kind of disillusioned with the whole thing from the get go, but I was, I was excited by the challenge of it. And I was excited that it would keep me from painting houses because I couldn't, I couldn't work with my body anymore. I was broken. Mm-hmm. I looked like a zombie. My leg was dragging behind me and I had a herniated L4, L5 disc and I didn't even, I didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. So I got into real estate, spent my first commission check on an, on an MRI to figure out what was going on my back. Found out that I had broken my back snowboarding and had herniated my L4, L5 disc and they just had healed wrong and I had not taken care of them. So I sent my spent second commission on back surgery. And that's when my real estate career started. Cause suddenly I could walk, I could actually walk upstairs and show people home. Wow. 650 transactions later, I decided to start a brokerage. That's another sort of long vulnerable story, but that involved me almost quitting multiple times. Uh, it included having to go through one month after I filed for a divorce. I got a phone call from my buddy's dad, who's the one who got me into the business, that his son, the one who was my first real estate coach, the guy I shared an office wall for five years, had taken his own life. So I got into the business, grew a giant team. We were selling 160 homes a year, filed for a divorce, flew the plane into the ground, for lack of a better term, and then found out the guy that who's the one who got me into it wasn't even around anymore. And so then I kind of quit again, mm-hmm. took six months off. Then I came back and started the brokerage. That's my long, very long winded answer to your question, Nikki. There's like different ways to go about real estate. I mean, we're both in the industry. When did you get in? Was it, what year was it? 2014. 2014. Okay. How was 2020 for you? Like during COVID? 2019 was the bit was gangbuster. Like I said, we'd closed 168 units in 2019, myself and my team, like 2020 sky was the limit. We were going to close 2 million. We were going to cross the, we were going to cross the 200 unit mark. We were going to close 2 million GCI. I flew almost my entire team down to Maui for all expenses paid trip in January of 2020, just thinking like nothing could stop us. Mm Mm-hmm. And boy, was I in for a treat when 2020 rolled around. I mean, how was Nikki? I don't know how to answer that question in, in, in anything under an hour, but like the cliff notes would be 2020, uh, started like a two year long unraveling process of everything. I mean, that was my 2020 was also coincided with my Saturn returning. Mm -hmm. So 2020 also fell on age 28. 
I ended up being COVID lockdown with my wife at the time was my relationship was on the rocks and her father-in-law who was visiting us and his new girlfriend stuck in the house together in a little COVID bubble. As my business was falling apart, I went from 20 pending sales down to four pending sales in two weeks. Oof. Approvals were yanked. People were laid off. I had $40,000 a month of fixed expense, business expenses, payroll, my family I was paying, people that I laid off that were literally my family members. And I panicked. I cut $40,000 of expenses down to $2,500 a month in three weeks. And that included laying off employees, including laying off family members. Yeah. And essentially taking this empire that I thought I built and flying it in the ground. Little did I know there was help on the way, but I panic slashed and I deconstructed a, a, a business piece by piece and then realized that it wasn't just the business that was going to be deconstructed. I mean, 2020 started a, a year, what I thought would be my hardest year. 2021 was actually the, the truly the hardest year of my life. Um, that's when I, I made the decision to file for divorce and got the call that Caleb killed himself. Like that one, two punch, um, yeah, it was unprecedentedly difficult, but 2020 set that in motion of, of unraveling my business and my identity and my sense of security with no mushrooms involved to guide me through that. Just me having to end up in the most deeply isolated place I've ever been. And I think the capstone of that basically concluded with me like taking a find myself journey on a motorcycle, 1100 miles from a Joshua tree down in Southern California, back up through Oregon to where I ended up pulling into the lava bed national monument after going through Yosemite, like going through like five different national parks, totally sober, by the way, like that was a sober trip, no mushrooms, no weed, no alcohol, just like just dealing with me alone on a motorcycle, almost died probably three times, um, just from driving a motorcycle, 1100 miles. And I ended up on the very bottom of the deepest cave I could find in Northern California in the Lava Bend National Monuments, hiked down to where the cave got so small that I had to start crawling. And then I crawled till I could no longer crawl. And all I could do was army crawl. And I army crawled until my head found the spot where the floor of the cave met the ceiling of the cave. And I jammed my head into that crack till it bled. And then I laid there, crushed in the crevice of this rock and screamed, turned the light off and sat in the dark for hours. And I contemplated hell. And I, I contemplated nothingness. And I cried and cried and cried until there was no tears left to cry. And then I just laid there and I just, I contemplated staying the night there. I contemplated staying there forever and not coming out at all. I contemplated what my life would look like if I did make it out of there alive. And then I thought of my daughter and immediately woke from my stupor 
drug myself out of the cave and reapproached life as a new man. And that was like my sober self-administered baptism that was the conclusion of of the 2020 that was the deconstruction from 2019 to 2020 and i know you're asking about business but it's like business grows to the extent that we grow and then business dies to the extent that we died so conversely like that 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 moment of death which was kind of the climax of like several ego deaths that I had had administered by mushrooms. Like this was like my sober moment of accessing that. Mm -hmm. And that was what I would describe for lack of a better term as my rock bottom at the end of COVID. That was your rock bottom. How did you pick yourself up from that situation? And going through your divorce and, you know, really starting over in your career. Piece by piece, mm-hmm. brick by brick. Um, how? Like a just a continuation of the fail forward journey with one profound difference. From that moment, I never questioned whether it was, whether, whether life was a gift or not. Mm-hmm. Like I had in my journey of deconstruction and nihilism descended to the point where I wondered whether this whole thing was some cruel joke. And, you know, once you deconstruct past atheism or into simulation mode where you think maybe we're just floating in a vat of saline Mm -hmm. through space, right? And we'll wake up as alien food. Like I had allowed my curiosity to take me to there as a hypothesis. And the end result of nihilism is what's the point? It's not a, it's not a pretty end. Right. And so to arrive at like, how did I build myself back up? It started with the foundation of realizing life is a fucking gift. Like I get this body. I get this one chance to be alive that was gifted to me without an interview. Mm -hmm. I didn't interview for it. Not that I know of, right? Like two people had a moment of love together and here I am. Mm Mm-hmm. And my paradigm permanently shifted to and has remained unwaveringly for the most part of, of, of believing that this really is a gift. This is a precious, beautiful gift. And even if I only get this one life and this is it and I cease to exist and I just go back into the matrix after this and I just become a digital sequence or a inorganic material that grows fungus and forest fauna like because i plan to be buried in a in a in a burlap sack uh, filled with mushroom spores so that if my daughter ever wants to go say hi to dad she can go pick a mushroom off of his rotting body and you know hopefully i give her a good trip Mm -hmm. but like even if that is it it's worth it and it's a gift and I'm glad to have it and I really want to make the most of it. Yeah. And so that's like the North star and then the values have, have been re-cemented along the way. Things like compassion and curiosity and candor and connection. Mm-hmm. Where we built through values. Yeah. You totally had 
a complete rebirth. Do you feel like you're kind of like a kid again? Or do you feel like you've settled into your 30s and your adult and older and wiser? Both and. I don't think it's either or. I think that in the moment I came out like a kid from church camp, right? Like I've got this new fire and I want everybody to have what I've got, right? Mm -hmm. And then realizing that I was just like had peeled another layer of the onion and really like a part of the ego death was addressing this spiritual narcissism that I had developed from being an evangelical Christian Mm -hmm. and living in this paradigm where I've got the answers and everyone else needs what I've got Mm -hmm. to realizing, you know what? I'm on this ride and I am doing the best I can with what I think I've got and everyone else is doing the same thing. And I feel actually more a rookie now than I ever have. Mm -hmm. But also, I feel like I've paid a very profound price for the wisdom that I do have. So I feel like an old man some days and I feel like a young man other days. So Mm -hmm. I'd say I average out feeling like a middle-aged guy, but (laughs) that's with like really, really deep, painful, big adult lessons Like, mind you, I still was going through a divorce process, two and a half year long divorce process to fight for 50-50 time with my daughter at all costs. Mm -hmm. You know, I was was being told that I should only get six hours a week with my daughter because of whatever. And it took every dollar I had to fight for my rights as a father. And so I, those, all of those fights were actually still in progress and still ahead of me after the bottom of the cave. And finding a way to circle back around to real estate, like that still loomed as like, what the hell am I going to do to pay for this ride? Mm -hmm. And I've got this skill that I've acquired through real estate, like paid a lot of money to get a master's and a PhD in the school of hard knocks of real estate. Mm -hmm. And I'm on like my third PhD in the school of hard knocks right now. Um, I better put this to work. And so I want to go back and answer your question before what caused me to get back around to starting a brokerage? It was realizing that just like I deserved another chance at love and at being married and having a healthy marriage and and having a family, I deserved another chance at like bringing my whole heart to the game in the real estate world and trying to do something different that actually solved the problem. Wasn't a part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Like be a part of the solution Mm -hmm. is what I had to tell myself to even circle back around to this industry that almost killed me. Right. Yeah. And you know that, like you, you've talked about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I've had my own fair share of ego deaths and going through my own form of spiritual narcissism as well. At later episodes, I plan on talking a little bit more about that because like it's very prominent in today's day and age. So where does spirituality sit with you now do you consider yourself a spiritual person or do you believe in like a god like what are your views i believe yeah i believe god is love and i believe love is real Mm -hmm. i've moved on from i've moved on from atheism as a worldview i've i've moved on from agnosticism to the degree that i i do think that I do think that love is the dominating is, is the, is the big daddy of energy. Like, Mm -hmm. like if there's a king of the jungle, it's, it's divine love. Mm -hmm. And that comes in the form as a father and a mother and a friend and a child 
and a bird and a whale and an oak tree. Mm-hmm. And so the human form of God I'm unsubscribed from, but but the human expression of the God that is love is what I believe in. Mm-hmm. So speaking of love, congratulations on your engagement. I want to hear your guys' love story as well, if you don't mind sharing that. Oh man, that's another fail forward journey. Um, that's probably a, that's probably an episode two, and mm-hmm. that's probably an episode two that I would love her to be a part of because I want her. I want to hear her answer that question too. Mm-hmm. But how would I just how I would summarize that? We met through mutual friends, had grown up next to each other for most of our lives without knowing each other, mm-hmm. had had mutual friends our whole lives without ever meeting, and. She was the one friend from besides my family. She's probably the one friend that I've ever had that was there with me before I went down to the bottom of that cave. Mm -hmm. Came out on the other side and still had her as a friend and still kept sewing in deeper into that friendship. There's a very small group of people that remained on my deep inner circle And despite my best attempts at self-sabotage and not believing that I could be worth unconditional love and trying to scare her away and almost successfully scaring her away at multiple times and scaring myself away and being absolutely mortified of ever being married again to then realizing I was more afraid to not try with her than I was to try Mm -hmm. and go all in and do this thing again, but in like a healthy manner that actually has a chance of going the long haul. Mm -hmm. And like every relationship, it's had quite a roller coaster ride to get to this point and undoubtedly has quite a roller coaster ride ahead of it. Mm -hmm. But uh, how we met was through brokenness and both being at the bottom of our lives and than having to go through an about face and a Saturn returning and all the things that happen at the end of your 20s mm-hmm. alongside of each other and with each other in a manner that has given me a profound amount of confidence of what our relationship is capable of surviving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how we met and how we're still together and why we're getting married. We love love on this podcast. Who doesn't love love? I know. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely hard to believe in love if you've gone through heartbreak, like, will I ever love again? Or how is this going to change relationships for me in the future? And But every love is different. Yay. Thank you. That was really great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for being such a great listener, Nikki. Thank you so much for coming on the Vulnerability Hangover podcast and being vulnerable with us. And I would love to have you back on again soon so congratulations again i know i said that like a million times but i'm really happy for you and your journey so yeah love it i want to be on the record of supporting the work you do i'd love to reflect some some love back your way where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or follow you along the rest of your journey the best way is actually i like phone calls and texts i know maybe that's old-fashioned of me but i'm like a in person, on the phone, send me a text kind of guy. 
And so I'll give out my cell mm-hmm. here. I'll give you the social media handles and you can, you can follow our, our real estate page. Actually, that'd be great if you could subscribe for, for door. Um, you can find it online at discover Oregon real estate. That's a door is an acronym for our, for our brokerage name, discover Oregon real estate on Facebook and Instagram and all the things my personal Instagram, I'm probably not even that active on. I should be, but it's wrist underscore Tim, but I like talking with people. So if people want to talk about real estate or mushrooms, my cell phone is 541-250-1065. And I would say those are beyond just like being a father and being a a husband to be and like doing life and and failing forward at that. Like those are the two categories that have captivated my passion right now is all things, real estate, property developments, uh, brokering, whether you guys are buying, selling or investing. I love helping first time home buyers. And I also work with a lot of luxury homes all across the state of Oregon. So we have, we cover all asset classes in real estate on the mushroom stuff. You know, one of our passions is to be building a network of like-minded people who either are just curious and, and exploring to, um, fellow seekers who are wanting to get together for a group, uh, psilocybin journey for one of our winter solstice or summer solstice parties coming up, uh, send me a text or a call. So, that's my long, again, my long-winded answer to how do people get in touch. Another powerful episode of the Vulnerability Hangover podcast. Thank you to our incredible guest, Tim Rist, for sharing his resilience, reinvention, and self-discovery journey. Tim's story inspires us, reminding that challenges can lead us to growth. Don't hesitate to reach out if you resonate with Tim's story or have tales of vulnerability to share as well. Connect with us on social media and let's continue these meaningful conversations. Remember, it's through our shared stories that we find strength, compassion, and understanding. Thank you for tuning in. Please make sure you like, rate, and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Take care and stay true to yourselves and embrace the beauty of your unique journey. I'll catch you guys in my next episode. Okay, love you. Bye.